Welcome to Lead to Succeed. This is the podcast to hear from the leaders of today in various fields from entrepreneurs to corporate directors. We hear their stories, lessons learned and challenges faced, as well as insights and advice to become a successful and an inspiring leader. The podcast is presented by us, Callum and Rebecca Jenkins, as we both believe that we all have the potential to be outstanding leaders if that's what we choose. So hello everyone, I'm very excited to have Matt Giggs with us today. Now Matt is a very successful entrepreneur. He's grown his business since 2012 to over two and a half million. It's a very profitable business. It's in lettings, residential lettings, sales and mortgage and providing mortgage advice. So a real entrepreneur that also likes to help others and do a little bit of mentorship as well to help others become really successful. But we're going to hear a lot from Matt. He feels really strongly and has view, strong views on leadership. So we're looking forward to having you on our podcast, Matt. So perhaps you'd just like to start with a bit of an introduction to yourself. Oh, well, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me on today, Rebecca. And um, so obviously I'm Matt Giggs. I've been an estate agent for 25 years. Um, it's been an amazing journey. I mean, I came out of school, played football for two years, got rejected at football, came away, lost my brother, had a really hard two or three years after I, um, between sort of the age of 17, 18 and, and 20, but I managed to find a state agency and most people's um, idea of an estate agency is um, you kind of shudder, you know, at the thought of God, you know, it's got such a bad reputation and everything else, but it's really changed my life actually finding this career um, and I've got to put that down to my mum. My mum, even though I wasn't driving at the time, she said to me there was a job, I think you'd be really good at it, you know, I'd lost my way totally, um, you know, I was in a bit of a bad place and I went down to the town in St. Neitz where I lived, went in and introduced myself and at first the guy that I come across was like looked, looked me up and down and gave me the typical kind of well, what are you doing in here, you can't afford to buy a house. Um, and I said, we got an advert for the for, for a role as a, a junior, a state agent. And the manager came out the back, he overheard, I'll never forget this. And he said, um, come and take a seat. I took a seat. I had, um, back then, this was in the sort of mid nineties. I had curtains, these big curtains down and I had a, like a suede jacket and a black pair of trousers, the only suit I had. And he said, he looked me up and down and he said, why do you want to be an estate agent? And I said, um, I absolutely love helping people. And, and that, that, though I had to go through different interviews, that was the, the fundamental reason why I got the job. And um, it's led me to 25 years of owning fabulous seven companies and going through different career paths in the corporate world to owning my own companies over the last eight years and just having an amazing life. And I feel really privileged that that moment was the moment that I found out really what I love to do the most so yeah that's interesting to hear Matt and um, but that came from being in a difficult situation having a, a very challenging time so what gave you the motivation to actually kind of go and take that step to find something that was meaningful you say your mum helped you with that but yeah I mean I was lost I mean look I lost my brother you turn to recreational things just to kind of cope with life as an 18 19 year old you don't expect these challenges you're not really an adult even though you are technically 
I worked in a couple of jobs and I didn't give anything to it. And I, and I think I realized that when I was dealing with people, something changed. I just, you know, I went, when I was at Peterborough United, where I was an apprentice for two years and, I, and I'd done six months in the reserves and so on and so forth, but I worked in the ticket office on occasions. And I answered the phones, arranged tickets, handed tickets across. And, I, and the, the people in the office were like, oh, my God, you're so good with people. And I used to get this feedback quite often. And um, But you kind of lose your way. You lose your you, – you really don't understand what your strengths are at 18, 19, 20. And <clears throat> it took my mum to say, well, look, your uncle was an estate agent in London. He thinks you'd be really good at it. Um, why don't you go and try? And my mindset back then – Rebecca was, well, you know, I don't drive. Look, it says you need a driving license. Um, and she said, well, you're learning to drive. Go and do it. And I said, well, I'll go down there. And I walked into the office. And it was just, it was my mum's belief in me, really, if I'm being totally honest, that she saw something that her brother had done and he'd really enjoyed it. And her awareness of what perhaps was required in the industry was what she saw in me but I totally lost football was my life up until that point um and obviously losing my brother and just various other challenges it made me kind of sink and um you know I think my route at that time was just to feel sorry for myself and and perhaps not look anywhere near my strength so it took that that encouragement and then literally after getting the job and being told you have to pass your test in three months to keep your job I passed my test in three months. I kept my job, got a car. Never forget it. I had to borrow money off of um, somebody to get the car and, and so on and so forth. But it's, you know, even looking back now, 25 years ago, it was the best thing I ever did. And um, I thank my mum for that. Well, I'm sure we're going to talk more about mindset because I get a sense that we, you'll share, we'll both share views on that, that it is a foundation for everything in life. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure we'll move on to that. But just can I start with a question about what does leadership actually mean to you? How do you define leadership, Matt? For me, leadership's about trying to help others define their strength and their talent and inspire them to invest in themselves to, to fulfil their potential. Because over the years, I've had two or three role models that have, have <clears throat> got me to where I am today because they saw something in me. So my... I'm, this is probably a strength and a weakness, Rebecca. One of the things I do is I like to give people an opportunity. Um, and I probably give quite a lot to when I see that potential that I can probably go beyond helping them, if you, look, if you, if that, if you get a sense of where I'm going with this, to a very few, to a small few of those people they have taken that and run with it and they've gone and opened up estate agents or they've done other things and they've been really successful and happy and to others it's led me to the worst part of leadership is where you feel hurt and um you know you feel like you've been almost duped along the way and uh, i think that's the bit so for leadership for me is to really believe in people to give them the mirror to get them to see their strengths and to help them to find the right place whether it's with us whether it's outside of our organisation, which it's been a lot of this year, um, is to help people to go and see the life that they want. And if it means that that's not with us, and I had a phone call with a lady that's been with me. She was the first person I recruited. And in my own business, nine years, coming up nine years ago, to have a call with her today to say that she's gone off to work for somebody else. 
it could be a call that I would have dreaded three or four years ago, but it was right for her. And it's right for her for where she wants to be in her life. And it's right for my organization that she isn't in the next chapter. And that's not about the classic, oh, well, you know, they've left, they're an arsehole. It's, it's more, it just where we're going so clear now, who's going to be going in that direction is even clearer with us. She's almost self-selected herself to say that isn't something that I'm interested in and totally amicable. Um, it's, it's led us to that situation. But I feel we've made a big impact on her life. And I know that where she is now compared to nine years ago is completely different. So, yeah, that's how I see leadership. Get Help people in the period that you've got them to find their strengths and, the, and a bit more fulfillment if you can. I'd love to ask you a question because it's something we've been discussing and, and that's about when you've got great employees that want to do other jobs while they're working with you and some employers seem to have really fixed views on that that that's detrimental to um, to the business where they've got most of their employment I've got a very different view on that which is as long as they're giving fully to you, but they want to go and do something else at the weekend or another job in the evenings, that's absolutely fine because they could be developing other skills that could be beneficial to you as a business. Be really interested to get your view on that, Matt. You know, it's funny, actually. I've got a lady called Kirsty who's just joined us. This is a prime example of what you're talking about. She's joined us from, um, she's worked on Channel 4. She's done three series uh, presenting Coast versus Country. And as you probably know, and a lot of the artists and in the media um, with Rishi's retrain to whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have got skills in presenting, in music or whatever else, who are now facing this kind of big challenge of what do I do, you know. Um, she's come in, been totally honest and said, look, you know, there will be a fourth series at some point. Um, don't know when it is. Um, it's three months a year. Um, and for those three months, I will be out of the business. How do you feel about that? Well, there's such a synergy between the show and what she's doing for us with signature homes and showing buyers from the city properties in the country for our brand. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for, for me, it depends on the context of your business, the role. And I think actually... I, I definitely feel that life's changing so much and the, and the you know fixing people to a desk nine till six is going to get more challenging as, as the years roll on we've seen with covid people working from home um you i think the more you try and block anything you, you you've almost you've almost got a time limit on when that relationship ends you know you tell somebody no or you can't do or whatever you, you, human nature is to fight against that it is I think if you encourage people to pursue things that are going to be good for them, um, healthy for them, nurturing, learning, that kind of stuff, I do believe that's a good thing, but it has to come with very clear boundaries. So you can't have a performance impacted in your organization because of they're late from the night before they're, you know, they're finished at one in the morning, they're in a nine on a Saturday or whatever you just I think it's about clarity for me but that's uh, encouraging to answer your question yeah that's, that's a really valid point I mean it's it mustn't impact the work that they're doing but I also like your point very much around the world's changing and somebody mentioned to me just this week 
that only only seven percent of workers in the UK want to go back to having an office job, and mm. they're all the ones that have got young children. <laughs> um, we know where that's come from, but and, and that's a really interesting stat that we need to build more flexibility into the workplace, don't we? And better ways of communicating remotely and all of that, so people feel part of the team. I think, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I feel with flexibility has been banding around for a little while, and I think it's certainly COVID's made companies. You have no choice. There's no option. And I think there's been a lot of benefits to that because people have had the ability to work from home and, you know, certainly help the property market, if you like, because people are now moving out of more expensive areas to the country where they can, you know, buy you know, bigger properties, have a better lifestyle, working from home two or three days a week. The one thing I think we shouldn't overlook is what a great culture could look like mm. and what that gives people that are employed. Um, and that's something that we're aiming for here. And, um, you know, that's that, that togetherness, that energy that you get when you're working with other people that are like-minded that believe in the same things. For me, that you know, I, I feel that, and I know that you don't get that staring in a, in a room, a bedroom, at home on your own. And and actually, being on Zoom all day can have its own challenges, and it can disconnect you from social um, situations and just silly conversations that sometimes you know give you some creativity or whatever else gives you an opportunity to just. Ugh, you know, voice, vent, whatever it is. And sometimes it's not easy to do that at home. It's easier to do that in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment. I think we're at the peak of um, fashion for working from home at the moment. I actually think it's going to really balance itself out over the next five years. And I think companies are going to need to give balance to the right people. So you're going to find that maybe with our property professionals or our estate agents that a couple of days a week working from home makes sense because they can get their stuff together. They can go and get all of your feedback done. You've got 25 properties on the market at the moment. Spend a full day working on the marketing. Spend a full day working on talking to those clients about how they're going to sell their house. So to take them away from an environment where they get distracted, there's, 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 there's loads of benefits either way, but I think balance and Finding the right balance in the roles is going to be the key and using both to your advantage would be good as a leader. Okay, let's take that on board, the balance and maybe having some choice. But I'd like to ask you, what, what do you look for when you're recruiting leaders or senior executives in your business or people that you think have got those traits that can be developed into really strong leadership skills? What do you think those are? What do you look for, Matt? Well, you know, communication skills are obviously a big thing. Um, you know, I think uh, I've, I, I think as I've advanced in the business growth, uh, looking at how we're revisioning and where we're looking to go, and what we're looking to achieve, you are almost having to change your recruitment process and, and your priorities of who you're trying to find. Um, you know, I think you get what you invest in people. Um, I'm learning that you're having to really understand that emotional intelligence is a huge factor if you're looking for leaders. I don't think a leader without that emotional intelligence, 
if you're in a people organization or a service organization, you're going to struggle if they're just logic based. Um, and I mean this respectfully to people that have a strength in that area, but you really need people that can connect with the people in your organization. They can understand the emotion and they just have this total understanding of people. I think that's a big thing for me. That's the biggest thing. Their values are next for me, you know, well, you could say the values are first. I think I'm tussling with that at the moment because, uh, you know, trying to get someone's values in a recruitment process is, is a very, very, very tender subject, you know, because what's shaped their values, what's led them to this. I'm glad to have a lady that's working with me that's done a lot of psychometrics training and understanding profile, understanding behaviours and strengths. She's looking at the values area for our next per place to kind of develop people because ultimately you can have someone who can get on with people and understand people, but if their values don't fit the core values of your organization and what you believe in, the conflict takes off. And all of a sudden you have a frustrated leader, a frustrated employee or director to, to MD, whatever it might look like. And that's when the conflict starts because the way they behave based around their values just doesn't fall in line with what your expectations are. So values and emotional intelligence are kind of running parallel for me at the moment. Oh, I've got lots of questions around that, Matt. In terms of emotional intelligence, let's start with that first. What do you consider emotional intelligence to be? Massively understanding others. You almost could, if you can put somebody who's emotionally intelligent with someone, and they would have, they would, from a conversation within minutes, be able to understand the way that client thinks. So if you look at it as a leader with a team, they understand their team and their behaviors of their team. They understand what causes those behaviors and why some people got certain strengths. Because, you know, if they're more detailed and they're slightly more introverted, they would manage them slightly differently rather than managing the extrovert in another way, you know? So you want people that are leading people with that awareness, and that is emotional intelligence. It's awareness. First of all, self-awareness, right? Emotional intelligent people have a high level of self-awareness. And um, if you've got a high level of self-awareness, that creates a lot more awareness in others because you can recognize things within yourself and others. And I think for me, that's, that's how I would look at uh, an emotionally intelligent person. Do you think that can be trained? I'm struggling to see how it can be trained. Mm. I, I don't like to give up on anything, but I think if I sat you down with my right-hand person for my group, Gemma, she would tell you now that, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, she's actually in the same room. Um, she, uh, would, what do you think, Gemma? Could you train emotional intelligence? No, I don't think. Can I just show you this lady? <laughs> Hello, Gemma. Oh, yes. me. Hi, Gemma. Hi. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, I think it is something that people can learn as they grow and mature. Um, but I think there's got to be a baseline there. Um, and I, it's not trainable. It could be learnable, but not trainable. Mm -hmm. mm. They may get it through experiences, Gemma, that they make them think and reflect. Exactly. Yeah. Some yeah. of us think go through experience in our life that we, and if we are able to, as you say, reflect on them, 
then yes, we're able to learn and adapt and do things differently. And, and from that, we, we grow that kind of emotional intelligence. Um, but they, I think that there has to be something inherently in you that you are able to observe. Oh, I think I lost you there. Did we lose the Wi-Fi? Are able to coach them. You may need to repeat just that last bit, Gemma, because I think we lost the Wi-Fi connection. So... Yeah, so I was saying um, I'm also a, a trained executive coach and I believe if you've got good levels of emotional intelligence, you can almost coach yourself. You know, you can almost step out of yourself and think, how am I reacting to this? Why am I feeling this way? Um, you know, and, and kind of almost have a conversation with yourself in a third person. Have you had a few of those? In I have, I do that all the time. <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny, Rebecca, we're having that conversation with ourselves every day at the moment, you know, because the, the vast amount of challenges that we face with um, just the, the way the world is, but more and certainly trying to lead others. And I think, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting subject, emotional intelligence. For sure. Do you know, I feel very strongly about emotional intelligence and I have one tiny exercise that I think susses out whether you're emotionally intelligent or not. It's just my own thinking. If you send an email to somebody and um, they and you've got a date on it, and then they come back and say, oh, "Gosh, um, I can't make that day. I told you I couldn't make that day." You know, they've already and you think, "No, I'm absolutely sure I've sent that email for that day." What do you mean? Now, if you're emotionally intelligent, you immediately think you're in the wrong, and the other person is right. Because you go, "Oh my goodness, that was me. I've done something wrong. Let me go and check." But if you're not emotionally intelligent, you kind of go, of course they're wrong. I'm definitely right. It's almost a little bit of arrogance that you can't even consider or reflect that you might have done something wrong. It's, it's so interesting because you, you, I, I'm now thinking, my mind's going, emotional intelligence, and then you talk about people that take responsibility. So that comes, that kind of, and, and, then, and then there's an, an ownership with people with a, a, a yeah. emotional intelligence, which I... Going back to your original question, if you want to find great people for your organization, you can't find better people than ones that take responsibility. The only problem sometimes is their self-worth can be. So you don't want them to be too hard on themselves at times because they over-criticize themselves because they have got you know, a, a, a lot of self-awareness. Um, you know, but it's, yeah, that's a really good, uh, really good example. It it's, it's just something I'm really conscious of. Yeah, I think you are. I mean, it's victim victor again, isn't it? It's like, you know, there's people that will blame the world and blame everybody else. And then there's people that go, you know, it's like when you're driving and the other person makes the mistake, I always apologize. You know, I've just got this stupid, bloody, I take responsibility for even their mistake, right? It's this silly <laughs> thing that you kind of have over you. But it's it's very rare. It is very rare. And you're the same as me. It applies to communication as well. And it's that and it's very similar to what you just said. If you if if someone's misunderstood you, you can think, well, they're an idiot, they've misunderstood me, or they weren't listening, or you can think I'm 50% responsible for that communication. And if it hasn't landed right or if it hasn't what been understood, what could I do to yeah. reinforce the message or explain it or just take responsibility for the fact that, okay, you didn't understand and, you know, and I'll take that and, and let's clarify it now. 
I agree. Really good, really good points about the communication one as well. Own it yourself, take responsibility for it. Matt, we've, we have listeners who may be considering stepping into a leadership role, although, you know, you can be a leader in whatever role that you have. What do you think, uh, what some, would be some practical pieces of advice you could give to somebody who's really thinking, I want to step up, I want to be more of a leader? This link, this link on what we've just discussed, for me, there are um, emotional intelligent reports or certainly self-awareness things that you can do and self-development for me is the, the heart of a great leader is self-development, right? I think if you've got leaders that aren't willing to develop themselves and continue to improve themselves, then they're not going to lead people. They're just, people aren't going to follow people like that. They're just not going to be there for you. And I think, you know, my advice to anybody looking at that aspirational move from employee or manager to leader, whatever it might look like, is, get you know, learn to lead yourself before you lead anybody else. And that goes back to your, I guess, point about being responsible, having a mindset of responsibility, being accountable for yourself. Totally. I think... I saw a, a video, some guy, I can't remember who it was now, um, it might have been a Gary Vaynerchuk video, he's quite a, a, a video blogger kind of guy, quite an inspirational guy, he says everything's my fault. And though it might not be technically, it takes away a lot of stress, because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're constantly working on your improvement when you make such a statement, because you think, what can I do? So this lady who's leaving today, I know this should have been nipped in the bud three or four years ago. Whether it would have meant she exited the business three or four years ago, because actually I think there's an element where she's not been destructive, but she certainly hasn't been happy. And if you've got somebody who's not happy in a team, it rubs off on other people. We would have been a lot more effective and in a slightly stronger position than we find ourselves now. Um, but you've got to learn to lead yourself as a leader. And there's lots of... I take lessons every day. I take lessons every conversation. I take lessons every hour. You know, it, everything I do, I think, how can I improve upon that? And um, that for me is leadership. And that's the, if you can get into that mindset, people will be more likely to follow because you're more vulnerable, authentic. You're quite connected to the people around you. No one wants to work these days for someone who does you know do as i say not as i do you know or someone who's limited because they do not want to push themselves out of a comfort zone so for me learn to lead yourself continue to make progress no matter how fast you want that progress to be self-development ongoing forever for the rest of our lives is, is kind of how i see it i, 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 don't, <laughs> think there, I don't think there'll be a day that i ever go I could have done that better. I think it's just entrenched in me to try and improve my performance, whether it's my relationship with my parents, to my wife, to with my kids. It's to, to remind myself not to be too hard on myself is, is a lesson that I'm learning. Um, but alongside the, you know, how could I have made that a little bit better? Okay. And what do you think... I mean, perhaps you could share with us, I mean, you did talk at the beginning, Matt, about some big challenges that you faced and how you shifted your mindset and thought, well, I could go for this and somebody believed in you. And that's come through in the conversation that we've had today. So 
Have you had any other really big challenges in growing your business that might inspire other people? Because I think a leadership position means you are going to face tough challenges. It just goes with the territory. So maybe just if you're happy to share um, a difficult time or a challenging time in growing your business and how you adapted, how you coped with that. Crikey. I mean, first of all, you're spot on. If you want... If you want to be liked, if you want loads of thanks and praise, you know, sell ice cream, I think they say. Don't be a leader, right? You know, don't, don't you know, you've got to accept that leadership is not about you. And at times, um, I fell into the trap of believing my own hype. I mean, I'm quite, I can be very overt and confident and everything else, but I've got a lot of vulnerabilities. And I, and I certainly am aware of the fact that I could have done better over the last eight or nine years with individuals and people around me. But the big challenge I had only probably this year was when we got into the lockdown scenario and a lady that I was in business with, a really, really, we have a good relationship, a clear relationship, but our intuition probably both told us individually that it just wasn't right being in partnership. Now, she had built a business for nine years and put her only business into a partnership with me. I've got several businesses. So there automatically was tension in a respect that wasn't um, massively vocalized, but you could just sense it. She had a different idea of how she wanted to operate a business because of her nine years of doing it herself. I have a way of doing it, which I feel has worked in the partnerships that I've got. Um, so it was always doomed, if I'm being totally honest, unless we were both willing to find the middle ground. And I think we continue to try and find that, but below the surface, there was a challenge. And I think what we did is it, it was hard because, you know, I felt that I had to almost change the way I looked at running a business to allow her to do what she thought was the right thing and to and manage it in the way that she felt with the team and everything else. And, you know, it was, it was a fairly rocky road, really, in respect that, yes, it, you could argue it was a successful business because we put these two things together and it's going well. But there was an underlying tension, I think, or an underlying kind of feeling that it's just not going to work out. And I think COVID led us to a place where um, there was a situation with a client and, uh, and, and, and I felt I would have dealt with it in a certain way and, you know, Joanne had her own opinions on it. And I, do you know what? I totally respect that. But it really did. That small example was like the tip of an iceberg. And I think it was just that moment where we went, do you know what? This isn't right. Do we look at it now? Do we look at this situation? And I, I vocalized my feelings. She listened brilliantly. I asked her to do the same a couple of days later. She offloaded her feelings on the matter. And there were two options, you know, sorry, three options. One, I bought her out, she bought me out, and all we split the pack again. We agreed to split the pack again. Then there's the challenges after that, because you've got a team of people that have been recruited by us, us both. <laughs> so you've got people that have got, you know, loyalties, allegiances, feelings, longevity. And, you know, you're kind of like, well, what's the right thing here? And you're kind of going through this difficulty because it's literally unpicking everything. 
And it would have really been easy, Rebecca, not to have had that first conversation. If I'm being honest, over the last three or four years, what we're unpicking this year is perhaps a lack of courage in my leadership in the last four years. So that was the first point of courage for me this year. It was, it's not right. What do you need to do? Why? So why do we need to make these decisions? And fundamentally, it was my happiness that I had to look at, my vision of what I believe in as a leader. And for that to manifest, it ain't going to happen if we've got such different opinions. And I didn't disagree that, you know, it just it uncovered, it unfolded after that because everything thereafter started to come out. It was, but if we're going here, what does that look like? And having someone like Gemma asking you questions that you can't or you don't like to answer, because she's a coach, you're sitting there going, I know the answer for this is we have to move this in this direction or we have to look at this and we have to make these decisions. And, you know, for everybody that's come away from our company over the last six months, They've all gone on to do, they've all benefited because actually there would have been in them frustration. You know, some people just don't like change, right? And trying to make people change over the years is quite stressful for them. It's equally stressful for us because you're frustrated because they don't want to come on this journey and you're constantly bringing people in to help you to break through. And it's just a resistance, resistance, resistance. And you know, when you come to the questions which are, but if you're going to, if this is really what you want, what do you need to do? What's required? Who's going to come with you on this? What behaviours do they need to have? How do they need to think? It really does separate everything up for you. And I think for me, lockdown was the most stressful um, three. I mean, it's still going now. I lay awake at night in the moment thinking, oh, oh you know, because I know that what I want and what I believe in, it has to be the case. It's my name on the brand. I want, I want this service to look like this. And <clears throat> to get there, you have to go. I was talking to Gemma earlier. We've got to go into the foundations now rather than try and build something on. Gemma said sand. I thought a bit harsh earlier, but. <laughs> <laughs> that was your example the other day. Yeah, you know, but you, know, but you need the. So we need compliance, we need great systems and processes, we need a clear vision, we need growth mindsets, we need people with more emotional intelligence, we need people that want to learn and develop, want to grow and believe ultimately in what we're trying to achieve. When you put it that simply... What's stopping you, isn't it? You say to yourself... What's stopping you is just difficult, courageous decisions. And I encouraging others to make those decisions as well and you know having so many people leave and or who we've parted with has been my biggest challenge because I love to be liked I love people and I love helping people so you're I'm in I've been in constant internal conflict this year because there's not one person that I would go that's left or departed that I've got no respect for I have respect for all of them I, I've got feelings for all of them. I, you know, I, it's been such a struggle, Rebecca. It really has. And as Gemma would say, but if that's what you want, and that's why we are where we are, 
and um, yeah. I was I think that's been an amazingly open and insightful share, Matt. Thank you. I think it is courageous to make really difficult and challenging decisions which impact people. And you know the impact that that potentially in the short term could have on them. And you're a very emotionally intelligent person. And we've talked about that. So that makes it even doubly difficult. It to does. In some ways, I wish I wasn't emotionally intelligent. It's not bragging, but I mean, it, it yeah. might be a lot easier, right? Yeah, because it, could well, it could well do. But I don't want to be in that space. And I think for us, you know, yeah, it has been difficult. There's no doubt. I, 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 but do you know what? I know we're on the right path. And you've got to do it, haven't you? For everybody. Like I said, for others to feel that they're not what we're aspiring to be, that it's not something that they want to be a part of, that's stressful for people as well. Yeah. You know, so it's the double-ended thing. It's kind of really hard on both sides. I, from my own experience, I've learned that I've made decisions like that and left them too long. And when I did make the decision, everybody around me said, why did that take you so long to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing that at the moment with a few people and that that maybe that, you know, it's funny, really, I assume that because I'm quite open and approachable and I've had lots of conversations with lots of people in our organisation over the years, helped them in many different ways and capacities. But actually, there is a lot of, it's, it's hard to tell somebody how you feel. It really is. It's very, very, very difficult. And I've assumed for a lot of time, I've assumed it'll get better i've assumed that it will be okay i've assumed that their behavior will change i've assumed that they understand what we're talking about and actually we know the old saying about assuming but it, it really does then and i think for me it's one of my biggest you know feels that feelings that i've learned over the last eight or nine years of kind of learning different things along leadership my biggest thing is i've just got to have the courage to do the right thing and make it um, a part of my leadership. So it's probably about listening to your intuition a little bit more and acting on it a lot sooner. I think that's a brilliant way to kind of end the podcast, Matt, actually, that courage and intuition and acting on that and being confident to listen to that intuition because it doesn't let you down. Well, it's linked to what you really want and need. It so. Is. And if you're in conflict all the time and you've, you've, you, it's because of a reason why there is a, you know, you're, <laughs> you've got to listen to it. It's mine, mine's 35, 45 years of intuition. You know, it's there for a reason. I'm, I, I need to tap into it. Yeah, definitely. Before we close, Matt, is there something that you're particularly excited about at the moment that you'd like to share with listeners? Well, I, I think the clarity is the, um, you know, it feels like, this year has been the hardest but best year in business. Um, the hardest, best year, as in it might not be the record breaker, but I know in five years I'll be looking back at 2020 going, that was the year that changed it all, that year. And um, what am I excited about is what it's going to look like in five years. And Gemma and I have got a yacht in uh, uh, Portugal, somewhere like that in our heads. Just a funny thing. It's a story that we, we've, we've, <laughs> we've got some tricky clients. <laughs> And this yacht's going to have a particular name and it's um based around the efforts that we're going to make you know Gemma's made a massive impact on me and the organization over the last seven or eight months and you know part of being able to make courageous decisions is to know that you've got someone by you 
who believes in you, but believes in what we're trying to achieve. So I'm excited about what this is going to be and become because we're already market leaders. We're doing really well. The business is successful. The net profit percentages are really good, but I'm not happy because I think it could be so much more. And that's not being ungrateful. It's just knowing that what's in me is going to come out over the next five years. And, and, and that would be more rewarding for everybody around the organization and the people that are going to be on that journey in the next five years. That's fantastic, Matt. I wish you every success with that. And I have no doubts that whatever challenges you face along that way, you're going to get through those and it will be amazingly successful and you'll be on that yacht in yeah, the sunshine. It was really pretentious. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. It was just like sitting by a harbour and just having a nice coffee or something and just going... Oh, we've got the business that we wanted. And actually, it's funny actually talking about, just very quickly before I go, I would love an organisation where our team can use the holiday homes and they can use this. And it's a part of this big vision that we've got is we want people to see that everyone's investing in something that we're all going to enjoy. I love that. Wish you all the very, very best with it. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks very much. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. Take care.